What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the channel. So today I'm excited to have author Howard Andrew Jones join me. Howard, how are you doing today? I'm all right, thanks. How about yourself? Doing fine. Just uh, just another Tuesday in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, trying to, trying to balance work and balance having a one-year-old and, you know, still trying to enjoy books and talking to authors and so forth. So it's, it's an interesting balance, but I feel like I'm, I'm making it work okay. <laughs> it does take, does take some effort sometimes to make it all fit in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially, you know, my daughter is like all about exploring everything in the house, even though she's been around this house for months, you know, uh, whenever I close my door, she's got to come bang on it. Luckily she's napping right now. So I'm not, I might be okay for a little bit. <laughs> Um, so I kind of just want to start out, uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, growing up, uh, with the name Howard Jones, <laughs> um, but just really, you know, did, did you read a lot growing up? Um, you know, how did you get into writing and then when did you start writing seriously? Well, gosh, I've been reading as far back as I can remember. I love to read. I grew up reading. Um, when I was a kid, the programs in school were a lot more welcoming about reading. You didn't have to read, um, just a whole bunch of problem novels. The way they, the way they uh, did my kids in junior high was they started giving them these terrible modern novels where terrible things happen to people and then a bunch of people die at the end. Whereas when I was a kid in uh, junior high and high school, they'd give you a huge long list of, uh, of books. You know, Lord of the Rings was on there. Uh, I remember one list had uh, Conan on there. Uh, all kinds of great stuff that just launched me into a world of reading and adventure. And uh, I fell in love with it. So... Yeah, from a very, very young age. Um, and there were other questions about. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, you know, like, you know, what, what got you into writing? Uh, and then, you know, like, when did you really start you know, writing seriously? Like, I, I think I want to, you know, do this thing. I want to, I want to publish a book and, and get, you know, get my name out there. Really early, man. I, uh, uh, I always loved telling stories. I, I was a terrible artist. I still am. I mean, I guess most people are terrible artists when they're six or five <laughs> or, but I would draw these uh, chains of stories about this elephant. I, I loved elephants. Uh, and then I would uh, tell my mom what was happening in each picture and she'd arrange it like a storybook for me. So I always wanted to tell stories and I started writing seriously, I guess, in grade school. I mean, it's not like I was a genius or anything, but I would spend a lot of my spare time writing. And same in junior high, I guess, is when I got really serious. I started writing complete short stories. And by the time I was in high school, I was writing novels. Not that I would ever show these to anybody, um, but I was serious. You know, I, I wanted to do this thing. Of course, at various points in my life, I also wanted to be a beetle and a starship captain and uh, a ninja and, uh, and, and a black belt. Now, I did eventually get a black belt, but there I, never, you go. I never did get to be a starship captain. One day, one day, one day, you just, you just got you gotta be, you gotta be really good friends with the people who have all the money, like Bezos. And <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean, for the Federation, you know, to... no, 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 I know. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you be able to even get the space to get to that point. Sure, sure. <laughs> hey, but at least you get the black belt. I mean, you, you know, you, you can check that one off, right? Yeah, yeah, that's like, right. I'm, like, I'm never gonna, you know, own dinosaurs or become a pokemon trainer like that's never going to happen but that's what i that's what i wanted to do when i was like seven you know i, I sure. wanted to catch them all you know right right <laughs> be an astronaut 
you know, just, yeah. that stuff just never panned out for me. I, I wasn't really good in science. So like, it just didn't, you know, marketing was my thing and it has, it, I would say it stayed my thing, but now I'm in telecommunications. So I didn't even know like what I was doing in school. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, back to what you were saying. Yeah. About like books in grade school. Yeah. It just, nothing was ever interesting. I think the only book that I ever like had to do for summer reading, I'll say two books, uh, the green mile by Stephen King, because it's freaking Stephen King. And then, uh, of Mice and Men. Those are the only two books that I actually read and enjoyed. Like I didn't, I didn't go into you know my summer going, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to read The Hound of the Baskervilles. Like this is going to be the book for me. <laughs> That's just, terrible. So, so you were just force fed the the gruel the way my kids were. With yeah. Of, oh man. Yeah, they they give you. I think it was like a list of five books. You had to hopefully go find them at your local bookstore uh, because, you know, I feel like probably since I graduated college, they finally have like the actual like summer reading lists. You know, if you go to like a Barnes and Noble or Books a Million, they actually like have them on racks. They didn't have that, especially like in the small town I grew up in. Like I had to drive 45 minutes to get to a Books a Million. So like I'd get there and I go, well, they might have it. And this was before, you know, of course, Amazon got massive. So you had to like, well, maybe we know somebody that has one that you can borrow. <laughs> and I was like, nobody... Nobody stocks these books. There's no way. So yeah, but no, it was it was one of those things where my my sisters would go on like college tours and I'd be left in the car with the window cracked trying to get through my summer reading and just just hating it. I wonder what happened with uh, education where it changed from what. So I'm in my early fifties now. My generation, all of us, grew up at least in this region. I'm in Southern Indiana. Grew up with that. uh, Read whatever you can. We love it. You know, yeah. as long as you're reading, read. And they'd give us these huge long lists, not this list of five that right. gen- were generally really depressing novels. It sucked the joy out of reading for both of my kids. Wuthering Heights. <laughs> uh, my wife, I think my wife read that and loved it. But yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's there's got to be like... enough variety so people with different levels, different genre interests are going to go out and, and find it, right? right I remember. Right. Uh, one of the early Robin Hoods, I think the Howard Pyle Robin Hood was on that list. And I had never read a book before where the character died at the end. You know, Robin Hood dies at the end. I right. was in class uh, reading all these awesome adventures of uh, Robin Hood during reading time. All of a sudden, Robin Hood is dying. Like, oh, my God, <laughs> I'm crying. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, you know, I remember you know, in elementary school, like we had the AR reading, the accelerated reading. So we could you know, we, we, you pick and choose based on like how many points they are because you take quizzes when you're done reading them. And the more points you get, like there's like a, like the motivation system. Like, you know, you, if you get so many points, like you'll get a prize or you get to do this at the end of the week or something. So, but then like, you know, the Harry Potter books came out and they had like the most points you could get. I think there were like 30 a piece where like most books are three to seven, depending on like the length. <laughs> um, and so everybody started just voraciously reading Harry Potter. Of course, everybody was already kind of infatuated with it. Um, but then, yeah, you get into like high school and they're like, okay, here's the five books that you, you need to read. So like go read them. And it's like, but like, I, and I think that's what like really killed my love of reading throughout most of my, my teens. Uh, Cause I loved reading up until probably seventh grade. Cause we didn't have middle school in my in my hometown. We basically went from sixth grade to high school, um, and so I didn't read like anything in high school 
or in college. And then I got out and that's when I actually started reading. So I missed out like on a, over a decade's worth of like amazing novels that everybody tells me, oh, you got to read this. I'm like, do you realize like how long the pile of books is <laughs> that I have to catch up on? Because it, yeah, just at, at some point I was like, gosh, reading is horrible and I hate doing this. And now I'm like, gosh, I really wish that like I hadn't gotten so soured with it, you know, when I was there. Cause I had so much time to read where I was just playing video games. So, <laughs> which oh, don't get me wrong. I love playing video, video games, but reading, reading is now, you know, taking the, the pedestal. So uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that you came through. I, you know, sometimes <laughs> it feels like I'm trying to master a dying art because fewer and fewer people read. And I, I lay a lot of blame at the way, uh, uh, reading is being encouraged in school it's not being encouraged uh it's being force fed these things are good for you eat your broccoli right as opposed to you know learn to read and explore what you want to read mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and luckily you know i mean I, I can't say the same for schools but luckily you know now we're getting all this diversity in, in writing and so people of all walks of life are being able to find things that they can connect with whereas you know I would say in the last, you know, a decade ago or even before, it was all kind of similar. And so like all, you know, not everybody is represented uh, and sure. so forth. And yeah. so people kind of would get turned off by that. Well, I feel like while readership still probably isn't where I would think it should be, um, I think it's getting there. Um, but you still see, like, I think Peter McLean posted something the other day or he retweeted somebody that said that men don't read books. And I go, that is such a falsity <laughs> i'm like maybe you just don't read books because <laughs> i'm like I, you know i'm sur i'm surrounded in this book community of men and women alike that are all reading um at just insane clips so uh yeah it's it, it's it's really interesting but yeah i mean you you asked me seven years ago i'm like oh, reading god it just takes so much time <laughs> um so tell me a little bit about um I guess your writing influences who, uh, you know, who, who are the writers you grew up with, or maybe even some writers now that you look at that would be influential to your writing. Gosh, I could spend, I could spend a couple hours on that. Let's uh, do it. <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid in school, I loved Ray Bradbury. Uh, they'd have these big reader books uh, and you'd sit down, there'd be collections of short stories and little novelettes. And, you know, every semester you'd, well, I was always thrilled when there was a Ray Bradbury story in there because that was speculative fiction. That was as close as you'd get to science fiction and fantasy in most of these readers. Mm -hmm. So I, when I was a kid, I loved Ray Bradbury and Robert Heinlein. And um, really, I was a science fiction kid. So probably if someone could have predicted I'd be a writer, they would have assumed I'd be writing science fiction, not historical fiction, fantasy. Um, once I got older, I, um, I discovered uh, uh, Roger Zelazny's Chronicles of Amber. And that, that blew the doors off my imagination. That and um, the second of the Lankmar books, uh, Swords Against Death by Fritz Leiber, uh, which is just full of swashbuckling action adventure and dark streets. Uh, it's sort of, uh, sort of, it, it had a huge influence on Dungeons and Dragons, uh, mm -hmm. sort of the whole urban feel and, and uh, dark smoky streets and intrigue every place. Uh, so those two things really converted me over to being a fantasy lover. And I began to seek things out that were more in the fantasy realm. Uh, uh, and while those works were really important, I don't even list Zelazny and Leiber as, as favorite writers, although I know how important those works were to me, especially 
the Chronicles of Amber, which I've read more times than anything else in my life. I must have read that eight or nine times. Uh, and a lot of those times were in high school and college because I just mm-hmm. loved it so much. I wanted to go back there. Amber is this fantastic, uh, um, fantastic setting where Amber is the one true world and all other worlds are shadows of it. But there's uh, hidden secrets about what's really going on and who's motivating what and uh, a struggle for the throne. It's just it's just grand stuff. And I can't believe that there's not a miniseries or, uh, or a series of movies based on it yet. I keep hearing rumors that it's being worked on, but it, it was great. Anyway, so moving on from there, I think the three most important writers to me were uh, Lee Brackett, who wrote this great space opera stuff that's... Uh, um, sort of characters who were like Han Solo or the Firefly crew long before they ever existed. You know, 20 mm-hmm. years before these characters, before Han Solo was even envisioned, she was writing characters like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a real gritty, uh, noir feel, but also very lyrical and beautiful prose. And it's really sad to me that her writing isn't very well known now. The last thing she worked on before she died was the first draft of the screenplay to Empire Strikes Back. Actually. Oh, wow. That's her pedigree. Um, and then, of course, there's Robert E. Howard, who wrote just these amazingly vivid action scenes. Um, he had a, this incredible cinematic power. He is the guy who created Conan, along with all a whole bunch of other interesting characters. Mm-hmm. And then another really important influence to me is Harold Lamb, uh, who uh, wrote historical fiction. And um, one of the earliest historical fiction writers that you can still read just for fun. He had cinematic pace and he just pulls you in and, and draws you forward. And I, I take a lot of cues from all three of those. Uh, and then as my taste broadened out, I fell in love with like uh, Raymond Chandler, uh, the great detective writer, um, as long as well as Dashiell Hammett, another great detective writer. Um, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I've not read any Robert E. Howard. I've got a lot of his stuff, and I and and I and I have the audio. I'm planning on just and speak. You know, again with audio, I'm really going to go through Zelazny series. I, Audible had like this like amazing deal that I never should have taken part of because I bought way too many audiobooks. But I bought like his entire Amber series and audio. So I'm just well, like he, just binge through. As, as far as Amber, be warned that there's two separate series. They frequently sell them as the same series, the same ten book series, but they're very different. Okay. Uh, a lot of people, me included, would tell you that the first series is is uh, definitely superior to the second. The second series is narrated by a different character, and it just it seems to be missing that spark. Ah, uh, the the first one. Don't read spoilers because uh, things that you hear some characters saying may not be true, and it leads to a further mystery. And this secret isn't actually what's really going on. That the, the deeper you get it, it's just beautiful the way it unspools. Uh, it, it was masterful. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, and 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 I didn't realize that Robert E. Howard, like, died so young, and he like, he must have just not slept and just wrote because he wrote so much stuff and such like a short lifespan. He figured out how it's to amazing. It. He figured out how to do it and do it well early. Yeah, uh, yeah. So of course it was written in the '30s. A lot of people who come to Howard for the first not not this Howard come to that Howard for the first time will be surprised by some of the conventions of the 30s. Um, just, it was a different time. You're gonna right. have to accept it. Uh, in, in the pulps, there was a lot of shorthand for people of different ethnicities. Uh, and they'll also say, oh, all, all the women in the Conan stories, well, not all, but most of the women in the Conan stories are just damsels in distress. Well, unfortunately, that's a lot of what the market wanted. 
he actually mm -hmm. wrote a really cool uh, series. He wrote two and a half stories. He stopped at the half because he couldn't get anyone to buy him. Uh, featuring a female protagonist who's a swashbuckling warrior woman. Mm. Uh, and they just, uh, he couldn't find anyone to buy him. So, which is crazy because you probably could today, but I mean, you know, oh, you're yeah. talking, you know, yeah. 80 years later, right. <laughs> which right. is, which is just crazy. But yeah, it, it, you know, I, I forgot who I was talking to about it because somebody mentioned Robert E. Howard and I was like, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've heard, you know, Conan's like, just the the one of the basis for grimdark writing you know you've got you've got gimmel as well but a lot of people go back to to to, to robert e howard and then i like look, like looked at his life story and all this stuff and i'm just like oh my gosh like this is just so insane that well, he wish, has all this fiction out there it, it does i can see where grimdark is inspired by him but a lot of people try to say well that's grimdark so much grimdark is um and don't get me wrong, I actually have a couple of friends who write Grimdark, and I do like some Grimdark, but a lot of it is kind of hopeless, and there's no sense of wonder. Everything's bleak, everyone's a bastard, and everything's covered in crap. Exactly. <laughs> but the Robert E. Howard stories are full of wonder, mm. wondrous places. I mean, they're places of terrifying horror as well, but there's splendor, uh, strange tombs, beautiful treasures, um, uh, just amazing vistas. Uh, he really takes you on a cinematic journey. Um, so yeah, there's some grim dark in there, but it's not grim dark. Right. This is uh, this is prototypical sword and sorcery. Yeah. Which is a different animal. Right. And and a lot of people say that like that that sword and sorcery is like a dying art, but I, I think it's just because like we've convoluted so much of like what genre fiction is and subgenres and so forth that nobody really knows what anything is anymore. Because especially like when it comes to like young adult, like people just think because there's a young protagonist that it's young adult and it sure. just clearly isn't the case. Like, you know, the, 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 the argument I always hear is about the Red Rising series by Pierce Brown. So like the first book very much feels like it could potentially be like on the same level as Hunger Games. And that series just gets so dark and so messed up and so bloody <laughs> and everything. It's like, yeah, th this, this didn't stay young very long. <laughs> You know, like the, the characters had to grow up very quickly, you know, but uh, gotcha, yeah, it's, gotcha. it's, it's real interesting, but yeah, a, a sword and sorcery, you know, I think there's some authors that say like, people just don't know what that means anymore. Uh, well, and, it's, and it's, it's sad. Become confused because so much fantasy is taken in through cinema. Mm -hmm. uh, so on the screen, Lord of the Rings and Conan look very similar guys with swords and magic being thrown. But if right. you read the prose, it's very different. The Lord of the Rings is slow and stately uh, there can be long digressions. Whereas if you read Robert E. Howard on the page, this was written for a magazine. It mm -hmm. grabs you. If you're standing at the stand and flip to the story and you don't like the story, you may put the magazine back. So this story better grab you within the first few sentences. And it does. These things have propulsive pacing. Right. So on the screen, it's translated very similarly, but on the page, it's very, very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you know, you don't really feel, I mean, you do somewhat in the movies, but like the Lord of the Rings, you don't really get the lyrical prose that Tolkien wrote with. You know, you don't you don't get the the pages and pages of a description. You know, you just get like get a long oh, there, there's a tree. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you just walking. You know, he's just walking along beside a stream, but you don't know how that stream was created and all the rocks that the water passes over and through and under and around. <laughs> Well, I don't even think Tolkien does that much of that, uh, <laughs> but I know writers who do. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's 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 interesting. So, um, as far as your writing style goes, what have you learned? You know, from your from the beginning up until now, like what have you, you know, what obstacles have you overcome as far as your writing process goes? You know, do you hit writer's block? Do you feel that you can overcome it quicker than you maybe used to could? Um, gosh, that's such a southern term. Used to could. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, like how, you know, have you, have you gotten it down to a science now that, you know, you can sit down, write for, <laughs> write for X amount of time a day and, and knock out, you know, your, your word count, I guess. I, for, for a while there, when I, I thought I was a pro, but I think I was a journeyman. For a while there, I was very focused on the word count I got every day and then on the word count every week. And then at that suddenly I realized, well, wait a second. Sometimes I'm spending an awful lot of time making multiple revisions because I was mm-hmm. so focused, focused on getting a certain amount of words. So now I don't even worry about the words. I've got a method now that works for me. And of course the trick is that you've got to find a method that works for you the best because it's going to be different for every writer. You can uh, read these books and you can talk with other writers and you can pick up tips and tricks. Uh, but you have to find the ones that work for you. And not every trick is going to work for every manuscript at every time. So you got to be familiar with enough of them that's like, you know, this isn't working. Let me try this now. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was talking with uh, Scott Lynch one time, and I realized that he was just writing the scenes in whatever order he wanted. And that sort of gave me the permission to write the scenes in whatever order I wanted because I have so much respect for Scott. And um, that really freed things up for me. Uh, anymore, I kind of, I'm more of an architect who gardens on the side. So I'll- uh, You garden gosh, as a hobby? <laughs> yeah, I, I, hate, uh, I hate losing control of the narrative. And if I garden, I lose control of the narrative and then I waste time and I hate wasting time. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I give a pretty loose structure and then I dive in deep for individual scenes or chapters, and I come up with a heavier structure, and then I began to script them out. I don't try really writing full prose unless I can envision it perfectly what's going on. I'll just sort of script it out, almost like it's stage directions. Mm. Uh, and then if that works, um, then I no longer have the frightening empty page, and I hate the empty page. It's so intimidating. Mm. Dialogue comes easily to me, so I lean on that strength. If, it, if dialogue doesn't come easy to a writer, then they can't use that method. So basically, I have almost like a, a crappy screenplay with dialogue and a few, okay, the character turns, suddenly a dinosaur attacks, you know, whatever stupid stage directions going on there. And then that's kind of my rough draft. It's a scaffold, really. Mm. Uh, and then I go in and um, I, I write down the information I need to make it stronger and then I make a polishing pass and then I make a secondary pass and by then it's working pretty well. I uh, used to it would take a lot longer but that's that's the current method and that, that of course leaves out all the brainstorming and the character development and everything but when I sit down to actually write with the characters and the plot in mind that's what happens. Mm. All right Tom. Um, so tell me about the the Ringsworn trilogy. Uh, you know I don't know if you can do a synopsis so far but you know tell tell me what what is it about you know and, and maybe the story so far if that's a possibility well sure well i mean the third book's going to be coming out in in what two weeks now so the trilogy's done uh the, <laughs> the story is complete in and of itself right there there isn't um uh, so over the course of three years you've gotten the three books um 
they're not standalones. You can't, I mean, you can start reading book two, but it would be like uh, reading the two towers. You'd get something out of it, but you wouldn't get enough. Mm -hmm. um, what started this journey? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have crib notes. Let's face it, it's, it's a little complicated, uh, three books in. Um, because I admired Chronicles of Amber so much, I wanted to tell a story where uh, things that you hear may not be true, where there's secrets and secrets, not just about how the characters uh, relate to each other, but uh, about how the world actually works and people's motivations. And so uh, uh, I couldn't tell you what's happening in book three because I'd give away so many secrets that you find out just in book one. Uh, here's the gist though. There's a secret, uh, not secret, there's an elite order of guardian warriors called the Alteneri. They're highly trained and supremely competent. Uh, during the celebration of an old victory, one warrior discovers that the weapon prophesied to kill the leader of an enemy nation is actually a fake. They don't know where it is or why it's hidden or what's happened to it, but they're sort of freaked out. Uh, everything unravels from there. With secrets upon secrets being revealed, some of the protagonists are framed for murder and members of their own order begin to hunt them. At the same time, their ancient enemies uh, invade at last because, hey, that, that sword, that prophesied sword is a fake, right? Uh, and so there's also a queen who's obsessed with and diverted by these weird magical artifacts. Uh, and it all begins to explode and interrelate and people aren't sure who they can trust or where to turn or how to save their nation uh, and unearth what's really going on. So you asked what I learned from the past. Well, I want, I want a hook that pulls you forward through the narrative. I don't wanna slow down for a whole bunch of expository stuff. Um, I want deep characters. I want a, a, a world that's full of heroics and action and lots of surprises and weird world building. That's another thing I loved about Amber is the weird world building. Um, so I hope that sounds interesting. <laughs> so um, I, I know, you know, your, your books, or at least this series in particular, is, is really, um, uh, people really like the world building in it. So did you did you start with the world building when you really came up with this idea of this trilogy or were characters still kind of like your first thing and you built the world around them so so it'll be kind of like the chicken or the egg question you know which came first you know in this particular instance it's the characters that came first i have to be in love with my characters before i can do anything now there were glints of it's weird a character comes in and there's sort of a glint of of the surrounding around them but i fell in love with a couple of the key and even some of the secondary characters uh, before I began to structure what the world worked like. Uh, Kirkenal uh, is, he, he's never the one of the um, point of view characters, but he's very crucial to the plot. And he's the first character I ever came up with and I absolutely love Kirkenal. So um, yeah, characters, characters first. I got it, um, So outside of characters, when it comes to world building, what are the first elements that have to be there in order for you to build upon and create a world that readers want to be in? I really need to figure out how the society works. If I don't know how the society works and the characters are, are rootless, mm -hmm. I need to understand, I need to understand my characters better. So I need to understand how they came to be who they are and what the world is like that they're moving around in. So the society and some of their customs, that's a good starting point. It's not like I sit down and come up with every custom and and every playwright whoever lived it's just i start thinking that some of that stuff 
to ground me a little before I begin to explore in others. I imagine some writers uh, probably come up with it and listen. This they work on this and they work on that and they work on that. I do a little bit of this and I jump over here and do a little bit of that. Like I'm sampling different ice cream flavors, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, hopefully it becomes a tasty sundae in the end. <laughs> With all the good toppings. Right, right. <laughs> um, so do you, do you put a lot of politics into your novels, uh, you know, especially like when you're doing the world building, or do you really just focus on how the society works? Who's, who's on top? Who's on bottom? Who's maybe in the middle? Well, I put in, I put in uh, some politics, yeah. But I mean, I, I never want to digress so much where it's a, a whole bunch of people arguing about the politics. I mean, there's a, there's a queen who's obsessed with something that's, not very good for what is going on with her country. Uh, so I guess you could say that's political, but I don't have a whole bunch of senators uh, arguing on the floor. Da, 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 da. It's, uh, it's uh, politics are influential in the society, mm-hmm. but I want to see characters doing things rather than talking about or whining about things. Mm. I gotcha. Uh, and w- when you say the term weird world building, what do you mean by that? Well, there's so many fake Europe's out there um, with slight changes, and I mm-hmm. wanted to see some really weird stuff. Um, so there's the shifting lands. To get from one realm to another, there's five, there's five realms that are united, and then there's, there's other realms. To get in between the, the realms, you have to cross these shifting lands, and the shifting lands are constantly shifting, uh, and it's getting worse. Why it's getting worse is another underlying secret you'll discover if you read stories. But as you cross them, when you're close to the border, uh, it tends to resemble the land that you're in. But the further you get into the shifts, the weirder it gets. And if a, if a, if a shift storm blows through, reality might completely rearrange itself mm-hmm. so that there's a weird red sun hanging in the sky. And suddenly you're walking through a, an orange desert where there's a green rivulet of water swinging near you, an odd dangerous creatures are flying through the sky. Um, And then you come out of the shifting lands and it gradually shifts back toward what it's like on the other side of the border. And then then you're in a new place. Hmm. So that's some of the weird world building. There's other stuff going on too. I gotcha. Um, So what, I know you don't wanna give too much away in in the series finale, but what can readers expect in When the Goddess Wakes? There's been secrets all along and they're finally gonna get answers to everything. They're gonna see some heroic showdowns they've probably been looking forward to, uh, but mostly they're gonna get answers and they're gonna get some resolutions. They'll find out what's really going on with Kirkinall and his lost love. Um, they'll get to see Mighty Orr talk again. <laughs> if you haven't read it, none of this makes any sense, I'm sorry. Uh, everything will be resolved. There'll be a whole lot of action and some uh, a few tears, and um, I, I think people will be generally pleased. Okay. Um, what are you uh, What are you working on now? Well, let me read you. So I'm almost done revising a completely new book for a completely new series. Uh, I okay. hope to be done within August, and then my age will stop start shopping around. Um, and wouldn't you know it? I left it in the printer. Give me just a second. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So this is sort of the, uh, the fake blurb I've been working on for the, not the blurb, the fake back cover copy. 
It's, it's rough draft, but let me know what you think. So, okay. When their walls were breached at last, the people of Volanis fought block by block, house by house, until most fell with sword in hand. Less than a thousand survivors were led away in chains. The city's treasuries were looted, its temples defiled, and then, to save their emperor's thirst for vengeance, the mages of the Durban Empire cursed Volanis and sowed its fields with salt. They committed only one error, the greatest Volani general yet lived. Against the might of a vast empire, Hanavar had only an aging sword arm, a lifetime of wisdom, and the greatest military mind in the world set upon a single goal. No matter where they'd been sent from the festering capital to the furthest outpost of the Durban Empire, Hanavar would find his people, every last one of them, and he would set them free. So that's, that's what the new book's about. And if you're a history buff, um, you'll recognize that sounds a lot like Hannibal of Carthage with the serial numbers filed off with the Durban standing in place for the Romans. Uh, Hannibal, of course, was not alive during the Third Punic War when Rome came and utterly destroyed his city. So mm -hmm. this, this started with a what if. Like, what if this awesome general was alive, but not there mm -hmm. when the city was destroyed? What would he do? And the obvious answer was, oh, vengeance. Well, I've seen so many vengeance novels. Like, well, no, what if he just wants to get his people out of there? What if he just mm -hmm. wants to free whoever he can? So that's what it's about. I like it, and you, you you did it in your movie voice too. That was, I did it in my movie uh, voice. Perfect. <laughs> I could do a DJ voice too, but that would have been even. <laughs> in a world. In a world. <laughs> oh man! Speaking of, so um, you know, we were talking a little earlier about um, you know, the Lord of the Rings series coming out, Wheel of Time series coming out and stuff. Is is there anything that you know that's coming out soonish that you're looking forward to? Like I know you know we've also got Foundation coming out uh, shortly. You've also got the new Dune movie coming out. I mean, there's just something after one after another after another so are you able to keep up <laughs> no no i'm not i've been doing so much uh reading and historical research um i i'm reading i'm doing a whole lot of historical research not because I, i'm I, this is set in a secondary world but i want to take cues from uh roman culture for the bad guys and things um no i i really have it as a matter of fact i still want to get a disney's subscription for at least a couple of months so I can catch up on I, I I was such a huge fan of um uh the falcon when I was a kid mm. uh and you'd think that uh, a pale skinny white boy would have I don't know it sounds weird but I dug the falcon so much he was like my favorite Marvel character uh, I'm so excited by um the whole falcon winter soldier thing and i still mm -hmm. haven't watched it so yeah the falcon spoke to me man he was such a cool character when i was a kid it's like uh i would read captain america and the falcon and i would i would thrill to every scene that had the falcon in it you know right um anyway yeah so that's what i'm looking forward to seeing and everyone else has probably already seen it uh, <laughs> it's okay i haven't seen it so so yeah you know, we could be on the same page on that one <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's like me. Like, I, I just like rewatch stuff that I enjoy. It's like I'm rewatching the full Dexter series because they're having a new season come out in the fall. So, like, I, I'll watch some of the new stuff that comes out. Like, I'll watch the new Suicide Squad movie that comes out at the end of this week um, just because I really like James Gunn. So, uh, anything that he does is pretty much gold in my book. So, but, uh, but yeah, 
I'm going to try to keep up, but I mean, I still haven't even like watched the whole Witcher series. I mean, that, that was like two years ago. <laughs> so, uh, I'm afraid I'm afraid I haven't caught it yet. And yeah, uh, and because I know that I know they just released the trailer for the second season not too long ago. So I'm like, my, well, at least I still have time. <laughs> my family and I recently rewatched um, the Gravity Fall series, which we love. Mm. And we also recently rewatched um, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which okay. we all love. And that must have been the third or fourth viewing of that one. Uh, it's so much better than the regular Full Metal Alchemist. I, I guess with the original one, they took huge liberties with the story because the story hadn't been finished yet. But uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood adapts the manga. Okay. Man, it's, man is that some great storytelling. Yeah, it's like uh, one of my contributors and I have really gotten into into manga. Um, we read like all of One Punch Man up until, uh, I guess, volume 22, and then we watched volume 22. Oh, oh, and I've wow. got the first two seasons of it that I really want to watch because I'm like, man, if, if the friggin' series is you know anything like the, the manga, then I'm like in for a treat. Like I friggin' loved it. And so now I'm going back and like reading all of the, uh, the old Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z because I've got like all the shows too. Like it's just... Oh, wow. Oh, it's so much fun. I tried watching some One Punch Man. My son came home with it uh, from college, and uh, it was mildly entertaining, but I couldn't I couldn't get into it. But I love some of the stuff. It, it doesn't take itself seriously. He trains no, so hard. Uh, he went bald. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, you know, he did a, a thousand push-ups, a thousand sit-ups, and like ran, yeah. I forgot, like 100 or 10 miles or something a day, and ended up yeah. going bald. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like the, the the manga reads just like that too because like he he just like walks around like he's like oh i'm gonna go to the grocery store and there's just like monsters all around him and he just goes like that and kills them and he's like it's like not even like breaking a sweat you know and like all these other people are around him like you know like almost dying to try to beat something that you know he can just like flick it, it's it's so it's so hilarious and it's nothing like i thought it was gonna be like i just i heard one punch man and he goes oh he kills everything one punch that sounds really boring, but it's like probably one of the best things I've ever read. So it's it's insane. So speaking of things you've read, um, what's what's something you recommend that you've read recently? Oh, let's see here. Um, bring it, bringing the list out, I like it. Bringing the list, yeah. So there's five or six modern writers. I, I could list some writers who are famous, or go some old writers. And that's what I usually do. Instead, I'm going to talk about some writers who are writing now. Who I don't think get enough recognition. So Intragellus uh, wrote the Alchemy Wars. Amongst uh, he has a couple of other awesome series, but the Alchemy Wars is sort of this steampunk uh, alternate history thing uh, where they're clockwork robots, one of the adversaries, and they're awesome. There's three of them. The series is done. You don't have to wait for the next one to go out. The Alchemy Wars, great writer, um, Alana C. Meyer. Uh, she wrote a sort of loosely connected trilogy, unlike mine and uh, Ian's. Uh, each one first can stand alone. You don't even have to read them, um, read the one prior, but you will enjoy them more if you do. Uh, it starts with uh, Last Song Before Night, beautiful lyrical prose, uh, almost a Celtic feel with this uh, bard college and the hidden secrets with them and, and their machinations and how the world really works. That's really lovely. If you're wanting some uh, grim dark with sword and sorcery feel, then uh, turn to Scott Odin. Uh, he has a trilogy going on right now, uh, starting with a gathering of ravens, featuring an orc in a historical setting, uh, and uh, those are pretty awesome. Uh, Eric Knight, or E.E. E. Knight, has the Dragon Academy, and that has a little bit of a YA feel, but don't let that turn you off if you're not into YA. It's about a young woman who goes in to uh, become a dragon writer, 
And there's two big books in the series so far, and I found them delightful. Um, adults would like the two. And then finally, there's uh, John Fultz's trilogy, uh, The Books of the Shaper. And again, mm. all three of those books are already out. And that has a real sort of weird tales, old school uh, sword and sorcery vibe with the emphasis on the sorcery rather than the sword part. Um, really purple evocative prose. He can really, he can really, really spin a moment with the sorcerers and creep you out and thrill you at the same time. Okay. Oh, wait. Hey. And you know what? Oh. I edit a magazine called Tales from the Magician's Skull. Okay. Yeah. See, this says all new swords and sorcery. There's my finger. All there you go. Sorcery, yeah. Uh, our sixth issue is about to go to press. Uh, seventh issue is in layout currently. And uh, it is just full of cracking great modern fiction that's uh, propulsive. And if you want to look it up, again, it's Tales from the Magician's Skull. All right. I'll make sure I add that into the notes. Sweet. Yeah, I, I love I love it when people recommend authors that aren't either as thought of to be as well read or maybe they just don't get the recognition that they need. Um, I've actually got Ian's trilogy. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty, I would say I'm decent friends with Scott. He's a fellow Alabamian. Uh, oh, and so, and I've actually got Fultz uh, series. Is that the one that starts with Seven Princes? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. So I've got I've got that trilogy as well. Yeah, it's it's one of those that like I saw. I had to check like, my bookshelf and I realized I just <laughs> loaned out Seven Princes to a friend. So the first one's Seven Kings, and that threw me for a second. <laughs> the first one on my shelf is Seven Kings, that I went on, but it is Seven Princes to start with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, and you know I, I randomly saw that one and I grabbed them just mostly just based on the covers. Like they just got that real gritty you know feel to them. Uh, kind of reminds me of uh, Cameron Johnston's got a book coming out from Angry Robot called The Maleficent Seven, and that kind of has a, a similar kind of uh, cover vibe to it. So uh, I would definitely probably recommend that one as well, uh, just based on the vibe that I'm getting from it. But, uh, but Howard, uh, thank you so much for for coming and, and chatting books and writing and, and, and the Ringshorn trilogy. I'm super excited uh, to get to the finale. I know everybody that's been reading it up to now is as well. Um, best of luck uh, shopping your next book. That sounds phenomenal. So, uh, so good luck with that. Well, and um, we'll have to do this again sometime. I appreciate it. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, uh, well best of luck with the release and uh, we'll talk soon.